welcome to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. What you hear in the next hour could very well save your life. Now, here's your host, Sharon Kleina. I want to invite you to listen to the Sharon Kleina Hour, the power of water. What is the global mission? What do we want to do uh, on this planet every day is, is concern ourselves with the water crisis. And it is a crisis throughout the world. It's not just in the United States. It's not just in, in Asia. It's all over the world. Everybody is having a fresh water crisis. And that's what this show is all about. About seven years ago when I started this show, they said, would you like to have your own radio show? And I said, yes, because I want to have a power of water concern uh, for people to join a mission and revolutionize the education about what is happening with fresh water and our lack of concerns and where we, what we left behind is the water on the earth that made this earth possible. And then the breath of life, the water and the air we live in, the breath of life. So this show is about the power of water and what we can do. And today we're going to be discussing a technology and new benefits to technologies that you may want to invent with water and other uh, inventions with nature on this planet. So we'll be talking to Andrew Sherman about that. But right now, I want you to know that 5,000 children are dying a day without water. We're having every two seconds people going blind because the atmosphere is changing and the atmosphere is what gives your uh, eyes the uh, ability to have the humidity to absorb into the surface of the eye that is 98% water. I bet you didn't know that. Your skin is 90% water. Your eyes at the surface are 98% water. We live in 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 humidity and with water. The fresh water on the earth supplements the atmosphere to filter it, to give it a healthy humidity of water vapor. That also, the two of them, help our cloud system throughout the world. So the show each week is to remind you of that mission that we all need to join and revolutionize the education that is so important. We all can pay it forward and every single person makes a difference with the subject of protecting the freshwater as a species. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Biologic Aqua Research Centers, the product Nature's Tears Eye Mist. Did you know that at the surface of your eye is 98% water? When you apply the eye drop on the water, what does it do? It causes a dehydration. You need to apply a humidity. So with just a mist with tissue culture grade of water, Nature's Tears Eye Mist is the supplement, and it's the only product like it globally. So you can go to Amazon, you can go to Walgreens.com, you can go to uh, many of the small drugstores throughout the country. You can find it on the web to be able to find the product to purchase. Nature's Tears Eye Mist with just a mist. We'll listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Andrew Sherman. In the beginning, the earth was dry. And then, life began with a droplet of water. The rains came, creating underground aquifers and fresh water on the earth. Moisture for life filled the air. Then, humans multiplied beyond the plan of nature. Today, only 1% of the world's water is fresh, and most of that is polluted. 
Without moisture in the air, the air indoors and out becomes dry. Insulated windows and walls, forced air heating and cooling dry the air. If the air is dry, eyes and skin are dry. Doctors worldwide report alarming increases in the symptoms of dry, irritated eyes. Researchers at Biologic Aqua Technologies have discovered that dry, polluted air accelerates moisture loss from the eye's protective tear film. Nature's Tears Eye Mist with Biologic Aqua all-natural tissue culture grade of water utilizes an entirely different approach to correcting tear film moisture loss. By misting the tear film surface with sub-microliter droplets of Biologic Aqua, natural moisture is restored to the tear film. Doctors and pharmacists recommend Nature's Tears Eye Mist for computer eye irritation, contact lenses, airline travel, and all other dry eye complaints. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua, absolute premium standard grade of pure all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. Safe, convenient, non-allergenic. Available at retail stores nationwide, naturestears.com or 1-800-4-MIST. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. That's Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Today we have a very special guest, and I was very excited about having Andrew Sherman on. Andrew Sherman is a partner in the Washington, D.C. office of Jones Day and a top-rated adjunct professor in the MBA and executive and in executive MBA programs at the University of Maryland and at Georgetown, Georgetown's University Law School. He's frequently called upon to be a guest in the media to share his expertise. He has been featured on Quoted in the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, the New York Times, Business Week, Fortune, Investors Business Daily, Forbes, Entrepreneur News, and World Report, and many prestigious publications. I have personally seen him uh, interviewed on television and met many of the business channels. His approach to leveraging intellectual assets was a cover story for Inc. Magazine. He is the author of several other books, including Mergers and Acquisitions from A to Z, Raising Capital, Franchising Licensing. The one today we're going to be discussing is his new book out called Harvesting Intangible Assets, How to Uncover Hidden Revenue in Your Company's Intellectual Property. Andrew, are you with us? I am with you completely, and I thank you, Sharon, for having me on the show. And I, I just want to agree very, very strongly with all of the comments that, uh, that you made about the importance of fresh water and the role it plays on the planet, not only for our health, but for our prosperity and for our survival, and uh, fully support everything that you're working on on all of your great work. Well, thank you. That's a very, thank you so for doing that. And coming from you, that's special, Andrew, too. You know, today, uh, the book, I wanted everybody to know that the book you wrote is something that the world should be reading. And we're in a very 
uh, yes, we're in a complex world, but we're in a world that inventions and uh, technology have become so much more understood in the world of, of economy and individualities to be uh, create something that they have a passion about called uh, inventions and entrepreneurship. And you approached this, Andrew, in a way that I personally understood, and I'll let you know and the audience know why I picked up on it real quickly. When I became the founder of Biologic Aqua Research, the first water company in the world, 100% water, to, to specialize in the technology of handheld portable supplements to the atmosphere, Andrew, I had a brother from Horton. And Ron from Horton said, with an MBA, you've got to have a business plan starting out with your IP. <clears throat> One of his best friends ran the whole company of IBM. Another best friend ran the Estee Lauder Company's uh, legal department, IP, and I could go on. Everybody said, start that company with collecting intellectual property from zero because we were going to be the only technology doing it in the world. It was a blessing and, and, and a gift that somebody taught me from ground one to do it. Andrew, this book, everybody out there, I don't care if they're running a lemonade stand, should read the book. So tell us the story of why you wrote the book, Harvesting well, thank you. Intellectual Assets. Uh, the book is called Harvesting Intangible Assets. Uh, it's one of 25 books on business growth and business strategy that I've written uh, but if you keep this all to yourself, because I shouldn't show favorites, it is the favorite book that I've written about business. Um, the the basic premise of the book, and I think why Sharon and many of your listeners will connect with it, is that I draw on the agrarian metaphor. I begin the book by saying that we went from an agrarian society to an industrial society to an information-based society, but in many, many ways, we're still agrarians. Except now our explain new crop, it to the audience. Crop, explain well, agrarian. The crop of information. And there I think go. one of the reasons why you relate to the book is that, of course, try being an agrarian today uh, without fresh water, without access to the natural resources that you need to make crops grow. And what I want our listeners to absorb is that the process of innovation in big companies like Apple and Cisco and Facebook and everybody else still goes back to the roots of our farming ancestors and current farmers who need to plant the right seeds and protect against the you know the the the, the deers that want to eat your eat your crops and the weather that wants exactly. to destroy your crops from time to time and you know bringing those crops to the marketplace on a timely basis those are all still the core principles of farming and they're still the core principles of innovation yeah, the, I, I, but we all forget that the first innovation entrepreneurs really were the farmers, the ranchers, way back in time. That's right. The, and the, fuel, the tea, the tea you know, uh, harvest fuel, in, in China fuel. and more. Uh, we have Web.0 today, but their rocket fuel was water. Um, exactly. Everything came from water. Right. And, and like you said, and still that does, water but, is agriculture. You know, I think that the other thing that you said in the opening that strikes me, and I, I, I'm happy to come back to the book in a minute, but I want to get this out for a minute before, uh, you know, before we talk, is the necessity is the mother of invention. And I agree with you that there is a global uh, that there is a global freshwater crisis. 
but I would restate it right now to challenge everyone to think of it as a freshwater opportunity. There is room You're for right. innovation. There is room for technology. Uh, it, it, it's it's both a necessity um, a, a, and a, a a an opportunity, all bundled up in one. Now to your fa- preface of the book. Explain to the audience you chose to use the agrarian. Uh, I hope I pronounced it that right. The farmer, uh, the original farmers, and I'm looking even back as I've studied the tea invention, the technology of thousands of years ago in China with tea, and that's because of water. But back to all of these technologies of inventions so far back, harvesting was, you're right, the first technology of invention. People, I bet, forget that. Exactly. You know, um, really, the medium has evolved and changed over the years, but the the goal and objective has not. If 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 our agrarian ancestors hadn't figured out how to use water to grow crops, we would have all died off a few years ago. Um, and how to manage now, that water? Now we need all. innovation to bring technology, social media, communication, interconnectivity. Nothing nothing has changed on the need of society. The methods of delivery in the industry focuses have have evolved. Now, tell us in the book, when you started out with your preface, talking about your father and your grandfather, about what you, uh, the story there. I really picked up on the story that what he did with his, when he decided to sell his farm and what he did to, collect, to gather intellectual property and technology to give it values. Well, there was a couple of things. My grandfather was a farmer in upstate New York. Uh, my father worked on the farm when he was young. May they, may they both rest in peace. Uh, and uh, Sherman Farms was a pretty sizable farm in upstate New York. When my grandfather became ill and couldn't work the farm, he realized that he had built up, he never called them these things, but they were at the time, a series of intangible assets, a series of of, um, things that could be turned into revenue streams, and that was his knowledge of farming and his contacts among the local community and his respect in the community, and he realized that he could turn those assets into new revenue streams by becoming a dealer to the farming community of farming equipment and had a very successful farming equipment business for many years until he retired. So, you know, part of what I was trying to demonstrate in the book is what's talked about today as an ability to pivot, an ability to change, you know. Many entrepreneurs, small companies, medium-sized companies, they're building up intangible assets that they don't even realize could be turned into second and third and fourth revenue streams uh, Intellectual property you know, unless and until they start thinking in that manner. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, and what your grandfather did then is he went in and started gathering, this is what I read into it, gathering the information of the past to make it more valuable with the secrets that he had learned with, we'll call it technology, and, and, and maybe call it some trade secrets there, but that's the way he operated his farm to make it more valuable for somebody to buy so that they could operate it with some of the things he learned about to, make, to improve the technology and improvement to make it more economical for the person who would purchase it. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, this is what I wanted the, the audience to hear. 
you could start a lemonade stand, and if you start that lemonade stand from zero, Andrew, and I always compare, they've got to have the sugar, they've got to have the water, they've got to have the cups, they've got to have the right place to put it to make the revenue. They've got to watch everything, but they've got to make sure they get the lemons. So all of a sudden, and, and, and maybe a napkin or whatever, but if they keep track of that all the way to the income and how they went about it, they could probably sell their lemonade stand for more more value because they kept track of how important it was to to keep to keep it record of how they went around about the intellectual property and technology of operating that lemonade stand to make a buck to make some money. But right? let me let me actually take that point, agree with it, and take it even a step further. And there that we is, go. Um, you, you look at the history of McDonald's. You know, McDonald's was a sleepy little hamburger stand. Ray Kroc was a supplier of, of milkshake machines. And he came in and observed what the McDonald's brothers were doing and said, you know, you guys have a replicatable business here. And they didn't even see it for themselves. He was one of their suppliers. He, you know, and, and he's the one that ended up working with them, eventually bought the company and built it into the multi-billion dollar enterprise that it is. So sometimes, you know, kind of going back to my grandfather again, uh, it, being a supplier to an industry, you know, looking at what your customers are doing uh, could be a source of innovation and business growth. You know, one of the things that many companies are guilty of is, we, I call it in the book, NIH syndrome, which is not... National Institutes of Health for the purpose of this acronym, but not invented here syndrome. And we sometimes think that because we didn't invent it, because we aren't creating it, then it must be worthless. It must exactly. not be something that we could explore. And that is not true. That Completely is not, not true. I totally agree. No. But that's the mindset, unfortunately, of some companies and some leaders that we need to change with this radio show and with other efforts. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, we're moving on. Uh, you've had in your book uh, how the steps that if an individual has a, co- a company, they want to b- start a build from scratch, or even if they already have one that's been going uh, developing, but they forgot to collect the valuable information of intellectual property to make it a technology of value. Explain that to the audience, how they should think of their own companies or how they would start, have a startup. Well, it's a process. It can't be random. It must be systematic. Um, It's the type of thing that, you know, uh, first kind of taking inventory, looking at what your body of intangible assets may be, how you can harvest those assets, uh, what markets might be uh, applicable beyond the core assets that you own. I mean, one thing I would highly recommend that you know, small and mid-sized companies do is, you know, have an intangible asset strategic planning meeting and, and include people at different levels and in different jobs. Even if you have to bring some of your friends in and have it take them to lunch and pick their brains. Absolutely. Or with a bottle of wine if need be. Whatever yeah. it takes. Right. Now, uh, when the person begins to do this and uh, they start from scratch, they've got to be something we've, I, uh, I'm wondering, if they've got to be writing about it. They can't just talk about it. Exactly. Exactly. So they would have a business plan 
that would be continually growing. And maybe some of the pages might get lost because you might go some other directions. But you, one of the things I did, Andrew, and a lot of people were just very surprised. When I started my company from scratch, this research center, I hired a, a, an accountant for the first person and a second person was a full-time writer to do just that for me because I found myself, uh, Andrew, so busy at doing what I was doing to build the market, uh, invent the pro- technology, the product, da-da, that I brought in a writer to be continually every day. For, I would dictate and we would write it up every day. We kept track of, it, the, of everything through writing and description and documentations every day. So I wouldn't lose track or forget my hike, I should call it, where I was going, what I wanted to accomplish. And uh, when you look at your book, what I picked up on the intellectual assets of the management, and uh, you mentioned in here no one needs to, uh, uh, to, to invent the IP. You just need to begin to keep track of how you're running your business. In other words, you don't have to be the inventor of of the product or the inventor of the store, you could literally take somebody else's store, but turn it into an intellectual property business technology based on the way you want to operate it. But you've got to keep track of it. Exactly. One of the things, Sharon, that um, I know you're aware of, but I recently did a TED talk on this topic and, and it's available for any of your uh, listeners, you know, on the, on the YouTube site on harvesting intangible assets and one of the things I emphasized in the TED Talk a couple of times, because I really wanted this point uh, to come through, is that you don't need to be the person who planted the seed to bring the crops uh, to the marketplace. And we often think that you know the only way to benefit uh, economically is to be the person who planted the seed. And that's not true. In fact, um, there are probably professors all over the world, working right now on the freshwater solution, but they don't have the business minds that entrepreneurs have to bring their markets for more fresh water to the marketplace. And a big, you know, a big opportunity lies in finding who these researchers and academics and government officials are and pairing them with people with true entrepreneurial skills so we can get this issue resolved. Um, and that's a huge takeaway, I hope, from today's radio show. Well, that's is, a good example. You know, for the listeners uh, to understand, they do not need to be the person who planted the seed to be the person who brings right. the product of that seed to the marketplace and obviously enjoy the benefits. Why was it in your book you talked about the David and Goliath? It was the IBM uh, advertising uh, said something about David and Goliath, and that's just what I believe you said. The IBM, IBM had this David and Goliath. In other words, it takes David, it takes Goliath, it takes all these individuals on a team effort to, to, uh, invent and, and bring to fruition the success of, of, of the technology to become well known and get out there and make an economic success. That, that one was a good one with IBM. What are some of the companies that are good examples? Uh, you mentioned a little bit there for a minute. What are some of the companies that really operate thinking about collecting every moment intellectual property values to protect themselves from the future? Oh, that's the other one, Andrew. Uh, when people are uh, writing and collecting and achieving and copywriting and trademarking and all these things that we'll talk about in a minute, they're protecting themselves from the future of the competition and, and whatever it may be. 
Could you discuss that with our audience? Yeah, I, I mean, the... The opportunities are abundant. I mean, one of the things I would urge small and mid-sized companies to do is take a page out of the big company playbooks. I mean, look at companies that you admire, whether it's an IBM, a 3M, uh, you know, even companies like Harley-Davidson who have more in licensing revenues than they do sell motorcycles because of the power of their brand. You know, there's a lot of uh, of companies that have basically publicly, you know, articulated their intellectual asset leveraging strategy, and we can we can take a play out of their proverbial playbook and learn. I mean, uh, Facebook is a good example of a company that, frankly, a couple years ago, I was not uh, bullish on them. They had, on the one hand, a billion customers, but they only had four billion in revenue, and I always thought to myself, you know. If I had a billion people using my services, I would figure out how to make more than $4 a year on them. <laughs> and uh, Facebook's starting to you know, get into mobile applications and doing some interesting acquisitions that's supporting their $60 plus stock price in ways that they weren't a couple years ago. But what they had to do was turn inwardly and say, hey, we've got intellectual property assets here that we've got to harvest. And, um, you know, that's... That strategy is important for not just big companies, but small and mid-sized companies. Because remember, eight or nine years ago, Facebook was just an idea in, in a dorm room. Well, and that that is what uh, is so fascinating. I think people are more understand can understand today that we've got a lot of these technologies that go so deep in debt. Uh, yes, they go out and achieve all of this. Uh, technology, but they are acquiring uh, a wealth amount of intellectual property and values and registered trademarks, copyrights, uh, trade secrets, patents, and, and they're gathering it uh, like a machine and uh, keeping documentation, keeping it uh, under wraps so that they can have some uh, confidentiality to how they're building their own competitive edge through what your book is talking about. Yep, that's exactly right. I mean, it's... It's a mindset. It's an attitude. It's a leadership issue. You know, one of the things I've been doing a lot lately is speaking before groups at the NACD, the National Association of Corporate Directors, because I want the directors of both our largest and midsize and small companies to realize that this is a governance issue. I mean, board members are stewards. They are stewards of the assets of the company. They have been for 200 years. And those assets are both tangible and intangible. And, you know, for many companies today, they're more intangible than they are tangible. I mean, take, for example, Sharon, the balance sheet of Google. You know, how much do you think of a $350 billion market cap, $350 billion market cap, how much in hard assets do you think they have? How many servers? How many pieces of furniture? How many laptops or phones? I mean, exactly. Five billion, yeah. six billion. I mean, that's still a lot of furniture and servers. Well, yeah, six I, I billion would be under two percent of their market yes. cap. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and I don't think anybody listening to this radio show thinks we're going to reverse that trend anytime soon. 
No, but but our forefathers were back to the what the invention. Let's call it an invention too of of the technology of harvesting the field. They they learned how to invent because they invented. Um, I learned when I started learning more about the values of intellectual property and ownership for competitive futures and and economic values uh, to create values to the share values and more. I looked back at Switzerland when they began to do it uh, there, Andrew. Switzerland believed in, in IP and collecting technology like that so far back. Then our, after World War II, our forefathers said, you know, we need to start protecting worldwide our founders, our inventors with the intellectual property value. So they began to, to develop protections of patents and copyrights and tra- registered trade secrets and so on. Then here came the United Nations, and the United States said, we, United Nations said, well, we should do that all over the world. Inventors need to be protected. And what your book showed me is if any individual takes the time and, like you said, has the attitude and can grow with the harvesting from zero where they want to go, they will have values like you just talked about with Google, Facebook, IBM did it, Starbucks did it, you said. And it grows into a development that you're watching that development through a process of technology to grow values that you can't just always go and touch, that you're actually molding to what you require, what you need to give it more value and secrets. Let's, maybe we could say, Andrew, you're adding these secrets all the time. That's right. Uh, now, you're the expert in that. I'm not in that subject because uh, I have never written a book about it. Now, when you came along in there and you were talking about when you began to look at all of this and you had some graphs in the books to teach them how to do this, and this is what was gave them kind of a roadmap uh, how to go about doing it, and those roadmaps you chose to show how they can begin to collect that information and make it a value. Could you explain that to me and the audience? Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, as, uh, that, that just broke up for one second. Can you ask me that one more time? Okay. In the book, you were showing uh, graphs and how to begin to how to collect the roadmap to those uh, uh, values, the intellectual property values and yes, and technology. Yes, yes. Um, and you you so, showed them how to do it. Yeah. So so one of the things you know we talked earlier in the show about taking inventory. One of the there big things uh, about taking inventory is. Uh, once you have that inventory, how do you bucketize and prioritize what assets ought to be harvested and what assets uh, perhaps you know could be set aside or or, or lower priority? And what we point in the book is various screens and filters that can be applied. And here we are, and again with a water analogy, you know what. What separates clean water from water, you know, that can't that that can't be consumed? It's often effective water filtration systems, you know, screens and filters that are that are helping business owners who have these assets uh, to uh, predict success rates, to predict markets, to predict licensing rates, uh, all of those kinds of issues, and um, you know that. Those need to be put in place. Now, those are not generic. Those are very company-specific. They have to do with the company's channels and markets. They have to do with the company's core competencies, 
um, you know, all of those things go into the drafting of these screens and filters. And also the company's competitive edge. Very much with, so. with, with, Who else is out there maybe doing the same thing or will? Once these screens and filters are developed. Yes, yes. Now you had on in the book, you had some bad, you said there's some good, there's some bad, and there's ugly. Do you remember that section? Uh, I do. Yeah, I you do. said that, that there, there's some good things that uh, you want to uh, channel into. You want to talk about the good? Uh, yeah, give, give me just a little bit more context. It says in there that there's, and, and, the, and the way you put your tools together, there's ways to look at how you go about, the, like you just said, you have some different intellectual property and values that you prioritize that are good, that you're good, and you watch that. Then you have some that are not quite so good that maybe you shouldn't spend so much time at, is what I thought you meant. And then you have some others that maybe the person found uh, um, that uh, were attractive to them, or maybe uh, should, they would like to try it, but you found that kind of the word ugly, don't, don't waste your time with some of it. Yeah, Go yeah, after that's, that's, into... so we talked about the partization. That would be the bucketization, you know, putting, you know, there, many entrepreneurs suffer from, uh, you know, what we call bright, shiny object syndrome, and they're constantly oh, pursuing technologies <laughs> um, uh, that, that they're attracted to because they're have short attention spans, there we um, go. and those may not be the best things to put all of your, you know, resources behind to, to kind of do a good, bad, and ugly analysis on the assets once you've gathered them. And again, those assets may or may not be within your own four walls. They could be, you know, a, a bigger part of your overall ecosystem. And, and, and then really use the screens and filters to figure out uh, what should be pursued and what should be avoided. You're right about the entrepreneur. That's just why this is so important for them, the companies to hear. And and we'll call it those CEOs and and CFOs and heads of companies that are been from one company to the other company to the other company. And you know, Andrew, I think they forget about what your book is all about. I think they forget what how to prioritize and not get carried away with I'm going to probably step on some toes, a five-year contract to try to rush in, get, get a, a, a golden parachute going, and maybe not concentrate on the values the company has set for competitive edging, but maybe build up on the values and make them bigger, if not better technology values and intellectual property values, even though they come in and they want to look like they're, they're going to save, the, save everybody, do some new things. Did you follow me? Are you yeah, there? I mean, that, again, that goes to culture, leadership, governance, and also uh, aligning rewards and incentives. You know, a lot of companies say they want to be innovative, but they really don't have um, they really don't have um, the systems in place or the rewards or incentives in place aligned to, tr- to, to spur true creativity and true innovation. It, it's kind of, I saw one company recently where they kept pressuring their engineers to be more innovative, but then they didn't give their engineers any time to be innovative. There so they were know. expected to be innovative at, at home at 10 o'clock at night. Well, guess what? Most human beings are pretty tired at 10 o'clock at night, and that's not when they're going to do their clearest and best thinking. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, when as we're talking, and we're going to take our break here in a minute, but 
as we're talking, uh, um, it, uh, can, do you think that each state in the United States, because our forefathers began the technology with, with harvesting, don't you think it's time that each state, these 50 wonderful states, got back to just exactly what your book is saying? Yeah, I mean, that opens up a whole other dialogue around policy and at the federal, state, and local government level. Uh, you know, it, it, you know, the state of California, you know, has 60-70% of the innovation going on and 60-70% to 70% of the venture capital dollars. You have pockets of innovation in Austin, Texas, in uh, Boston, uh, in the 128 corridor, in the D.C. and 270 corridor. You know, we're too great of a nation to have our innovation and creativity concentrated in four or five major pockets and all of our venture capital concentrated in those same pockets. You know, we've got a lot of other smart people throughout this country, and states need to maybe be more aggressive in stimulating it. One state that has done a wonderful job recently to stimulate more innovation uh, has been Utah, um, and I think there's also some initiatives going on in Oregon uh, to try and spur more entrepreneurship, more innovation, more venture capital. Mm-hmm. The, the other one, too, uh, Andrew, is innovation is what our forefathers made this country so great for the world to recognize that by dividing 50 states up, and letting each 50 state be competitive with each other and, and gather their own intellectual competitive edging and technology. And there used to be a loyalty to the borders of each state because they knew that all the people that lived within that state would profit and, and, and gain by living in that state with the technology they built. Well, there's one other piece that your listeners should be aware of that I, I, I've always been impressed by. Um, you know, our forefathers created a constitution that they had to build an entire nation from scratch. And Article exactly. 1, Section 8 includes patents and copyrights, you know, right in the core of the constitution. To my knowledge, uh, Sharon, we are the only country that has uh, intellectual property laws baked into our constitution. And... Uh, to drive that point home, um, you know, the, the fact that our forefathers had the foresight to include intellectual property laws back in the 1700s was pretty darn impressive. Now, I We're going to take our first break, and then when we come back, I think we should come, go on with that, because that sh- is is where we go back to the roots of what made this country admired all over the world. Uh, Don't you go anywhere, and we'll be right back, Andrew. Uh, We'll just be a moment. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. 
All natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. That's SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Andrew, you and I were talking about way uh, as far back as the seven. You were talking about back into the 1700s. Uh, how our forefathers were so creative with the Constitution within the United States to be able to develop intellectual property laws to protect the inventor, the technology, to protect our each state, and to protect our country so we could have an economic uh, success. Could you men- to bring, uh, mention that again? I don't think it would ever hurt to have that repeated again. Yeah, so, so you know, here our, our founding fathers had a lot to deal with. They were building a country from scratch. They were breaking away from, uh, from the Brits. They were declaring their independence. And they built a constitution that had to address huge issues. I mean, freedom of speech and the right to bear arms and the right to assemble. And if you look carefully at Article 1, Section 8, they also talk about the importance of patent and copyright laws. We are the only country that I know of in the world that has... The intellectual property laws in the original draft of our Constitution. Now, this was a mandate that our founding fathers were giving us almost 300 years ago, telling us that we need to be committed to innovation and entrepreneurship in all areas, including natural resources. Well, you know, if you study American history, you'll say, well, on the one hand, it was obvious because the, the many of our founding fathers were a bunch of inventors and entrepreneurs like Ben Franklin. But on the other hand, you know, they had the foresight to understand that they were fighting with Britain. You remember the Tea Party. They were fighting yeah. with Britain over the right to own property. And they had the foresight way, way back then to realize that property could manifest itself in both tangible and intangible form. And if they can recognize that 300 years ago, then, then the least we could do to honor their foresight is to continue to be committed to it. Exactly. That's what this book is all about. Now, that what comes to my mind just then is at one time, the accounting procedures included it with the accounting procedures of, the, of, the, of how the, the investment of what they were doing. And I don't know how many years the accounting procedures are more for tax purposes than gathering intellectual property and value. Well, wow, we could talk about this one for hours, but let me just say that GAP, generally accepted accounting principles, (laughs) which are at the core of our, you know, accounting system in the United States, is still completely inadequate for capturing the value of these intangibles. Uh, One of the professors that I write about in the book is Professor Baruch Lev, L-E-V. He's a finance professor out of New York. 
He's been urging the accounting and finance profession to deal with this issue for nearly 30 years. And he's gotten some traction, but not enough. And the reason it's hurting small business owners is, you know, Sharon, if you developed a, a new technology and you went to your local bank and said, I've got, the, you know, four pending patents and I've got potential customer orders and I've got all these intangible assets built up, can you lend me a million dollars for me to bring the market, bring the product to the marketplace? They're going to say, no, you have right. no collateral to offer us that we recognize. And exactly. you're going to say, that's ridiculous. I have very See, valuable that's been collateral. the challenges of people, even like what I've done through the years, is uh, we, you challenge, we're the only product company and technology like it in the world with water. And uh, the challenges you run into, and every other entrepreneur who's a, tech, a, a specialist in, in inventing something that is, is so valuable to our country to go out of the state, go out throughout the states, throughout the country, and then go out of the country and go into other countries of the world. Those banks are holding those people back slowing things down. That's correct. Very much so. And it's not necessarily the banker's fault completely. No, it is not the banker's fault. For not being no. able to recognize these assets as valid collateral. It, it's, it's the finance it's the regulation. community and the accounting community that needs to do a better job recognizing the efficacy of these assets as legitimate collateral. Right. And there's the competitive edge to, like, when you get up in the morning and you're running a company and you look at it with technology, I don't care if it's a lemonade stand. It's how you develop your own economic competitiveness that gives you your secrets and your confidentiality of values to develop the futures of what I believe your grandfather did once he decided to sell his farm. Now, that's where I followed it with you. When he decided to sell the farm, he decided, I think I'm going to go back and correct me if I'm wrong and see what what value I have to uh, selling this to someone else and giving him, them some of my secrets with those values that they don't have to start up from scratch with. That's right. I mean, you know, again, many people think, well, if, I'm, if I have to close down a business or sell a business, you know, all the intellectual property that I have is being sold with it, but that's not always the case. No. He was able right. to separate his knowledge of the farming industry from the farm itself. And, exactly. You know, that's there we go. Distinction. That's exactly. Now, uh, we, we only have about 10 more minutes left. Tell us about what I've been missing uh, to ask the questions, because you know so well what you've been doing. You have been a guest speaker all over uh, the country and probably the world on not only magazines and newspapers and television and more, but you have some of these secrets that you were learning that the listener needs to hear if they want to build a business. And, oh, uh, by the way, Andrew, I think everybody should be looking into more technology and water investment and uh, intellectual property and values and technology, like recycling water, like uh, that Singapore has done. I believe you can go out and become more aggressive in technology and understanding about agriculture, some of the other ways to uh, uh, hydrotherapy, the uh, growing cloths, and more and more. I can see it all over, all kinds of new technologies that people want to get involved in, but they're worried because they have to worry about sales every day to be the value and how the counting procedures are for tax reasons. They need to uh, hear from you 
about what you're cons- what you learned about how you start from scratch and the attitude that you said they should have. Exactly. Um, I, I guess you know the one point that we haven't talked about yet is these intangible assets in the context of mergers and acquisitions for small companies. Um, okay. And you know maybe that, that that's one point we should dwell on. And licensing. Yeah. Well. But also M&A. Let me, let me okay. give you the context okay. for this. So what will happen is many small companies prepare themselves for sale, and they go through some technical due diligence. They really don't, uh, you know, maybe they make sure their corporate books and, and records are in order, but they really don't do an intangible asset audit. And the way that that damages them is that, remember, people buy businesses for the hidden intrinsic value of those businesses, you know, not for the raw assets that are available these days anywhere. And if a if a closely held or mid-sized company does not take the time to take inventory of their intangibles, then they're essentially giving the business away at a much lower valuation than it's really worth. Yeah. I mean, I ask your listeners to consider the following hypothetical. I agreed to sell, you know, my business to Sharon for $10 million. And $10 million is not a small amount of money. I I won't be starving on that. I can pay a few bills. Um, But Sharon takes the time to engage in strategic due diligence and finds out that some of the patents and other intangibles that I own are actually worth $100 million. Exactly. What are the chances that Sharon's going to call me and say, gee whiz, Andrew, I know I agreed to buy your business for $10 million, but my strategic due diligence team has discovered $90 million of additional value, so I'll be amending the purchase price to $100 million. Yeah. Um, if you think that will ever happen, then, you know, I've got Go to another swamp land in Florida to sell you, and, you know, you probably still believe in, in the tooth fairy. So, exactly. you know, that's the point. I mean, I think tens of millions or billions of dollars are being left on the table by small and mid-sized companies who are basically giving away their companies at far lower valuations than they really ought to because they don't, they're not listening to a radio show like this. They're not understanding uh, the value of those intangibles. And they, they need to uh, uh, take better inventory of the, of the intrinsic value of their company prior to conveying ownership of it. Because I've got, we've only got oh. a couple of minutes left, but I wanted, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, take you on a trip on this one. How would you tell these doctors' offices, because we're in the medical field, with all these thousands and thousands of doctors that are worried about selling their, doctor, their practices now, because there are a lot of values changed because of the new health care plan. And they're caught up in that, and cha- things have changed. They should also be uh, going in and finding out their intangible values, uh, the uh, IP values, to what they, how they were operating their practices, not just to see the patient every day and putting it on the books, but they could be doing it with a doctor's office too, couldn't they? Yes. Well, you're, you're completely right with one very large exception. Um, when it comes to medical practices, procedures, best practices, you're right. They leave a lot on the table. Unfortunately, if I sell a business, one of my key assets is customer records and customer data. Of course, doctor's offices are in a unique position because their patient data is highly regulated by HIPAA and by new healthcare regulations, so they have to be very careful to not treat their patient data 
the way exactly. that a private an IP. could treat their customer data. But everything else that you just said is still true. Now, Kay, we are out of time. So, how would you like to say? What would you like to say to the audience about your book? How to find you? Uh, well, uh, please uh, visit us on the Jones Day website, www.jonesday.com. Uh, my bio and the bios of all of my colleagues are on that website. Uh, the, uh, the book, Harvesting Intangible Assets, is available on Amazon. And if you're intrigued by today's radio show, please uh, take a few minutes to look for the Harvesting Intangible Assets YouTube video of my TED Talk. And, and, uh, and I wish everybody good luck. And, and many, um, uh, thank you, to Sharon, for an excellent job. Uh, and Andrew, I need today. to tell him how many of your books I've bought and been given away. <laughs> yeah, uh, more than my family. <laughs> <laughs> well, I sure appreciated it. I hope someday that I can bring you on again because I know I'll hang up and I might have missed some questions. But I sure appreciate what you did with the book, and I, I know you're going to be in demand. No problem. Well, thank you. Best of luck to all of your listeners, we'll talk and we'll talk soon. soon. Thank you, and have a nice day. And be you well. You too. Bye-bye. Be well. Well, I was excited for all of you out there to understand. It's like myself starting this radio talk show. It, I started out with the power of water, and I own the registered trademark to the power of water, and, and Sharon Kleina is like a copyright. She's been running around doing her thing for several years and, and collecting intellectual property values and technology to do what we do. The world is at a crisis with water. So I keep a focus on where I believe the mission and the revolution to all of this is. So I keep a focus. I don't get off the track. And that's why I wanted you all to know today you can do it too. Anybody can do it. I don't care how big. Don't forget how big you are. You can do it better than any of us because you're, you've gotten some, a lot of values going. But don't forget that when you buy into a company and whatever partnerships and acquisitions you do, there's intellectual property and values that need to continue. Well, I want to thank you all for listening today. I was very excited about the show. I'm lo- I like this Power of Water radio talk show. It's a mission to me, and I think we'll make it a revolution. We're going to be telling you more about our new website here soon, and we'll want you to come in and join us with the world to listen and pay it forward and try to save lives. That's what we're here for. Can we save a life and pave it forward? I want to thank you for listening. Earth has a secret. Embrace your life every precious moment, but Earth's secret is don't take it all with you. Leave it behind, too. You have a nice day, and you be well. Thank you for listening. Join us next week for another edition of the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel with an encore Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Remember to visit Sharon's website at SharonKleinaHour.com. Hour.com.